listeners. This is Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars. We all love to eat. Well, I would like to tell you about my friends at the Rib Shack Barbecue on West Bay Drive in downtown Largo. Their menu offers family-sized takeout dinners like delicious ribs, chicken, beef, and pork, or sit-down barbecue dinners, sandwiches, and even desserts. They will also cater your party. Everything is barbecued fresh using real oak for that great smoky flavor. So visit my friends, Corey, Jed, and Kurt, at the Rib Shack Barbecue in downtown Largo, 600 West Bay Drive, or call them for a takeout order at 727-501-9090. That's 727-501-9090. They truly have the best smoking barbecue in town. Oh, and be sure and check out their great barbecue sauce. That's the Rib Shack Barbecue in downtown Largo, 727-501-9090. I'm telling Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars sent you. You may be owed some money. After 911 and 411, call 541. That's 727-541-1741. Call Gulfstream Motorsports for a diminished value report. Due to my 28 years experience in the auto salvage business, I'm very good with wrecks. So if your car's been involved in a wreck, call me for a diminished value report. Call 727-541-1741. You may be owed some money for the lost value of your repaired vehicle. And visit us at GulfstreamMotorsports.com. What the hell is this? Agent Denham, that is a 1963 Ferrari 250 GT Lusso, owned and raced by the coolest cat who ever lived, Steve McQueen. This was his baby, and now it's my baby. You got Steve McQueen's car parked in your living room? And here I thought you were an ass. I paid a million for it 10 years ago. I wouldn't sell it for 10 times that. We're 65 stories up. How do we get out of here? You don't. This car was taken apart piece by piece and reassembled inside this room. Well, this car will eventually be sold at auction with the rest of your belongings. Only if I'm guilty, Agent Denham, which I'm not. Hey, the Red Rocker Sammy Hagar here, and you are listening to Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Ah, uh, woo, good God, woo. Okay, listeners, welcome. You're tuned in to Nostalgic Radio and Cars, and I'm your show host, Robert. Run your computers and Google Tantalk1340.com, and you can see us live here in the studios in downtown Clearwater. Don't forget to check out our website, GulfstreamMotorsports.com, where you can find out all about us. And if you've missed any of our past shows, don't forget to check out our archive page, where you can listen to all 380-some-odd shows. Now, I have to wish everybody a happy new year. Happy new year, Tommy. And a happy new year to you. But anyway, I want to welcome to the show this evening my son, Bobby. How are you? Hello again. Happy New Year, Bobby. Happy then, New Year. And then I want to welcome a friend of mine, Neha, to the show. How are you doing? Happy New Year to you, too, as well. Fine. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Well, Neha, you're supposed to show energy. <laughs> See, you have to have you gotta have energy. You got to go, wow, this is how we're doing this, because this show is full of energy, and it's a very vibrant show. Right, Bobby? It is vibrant. Yeah, because, yes. you know, when when like, when like I... And when it's we, the first show It's of the first show of 2018. Yeah. Let them try again. Let me try again. Okay, see, because here's, <laughs> because here's, here's what you got to do. What like uh, I, we were just talking about this a minute ago is like you know a hundred years ago. No, when was it? Eight years ago? Seven years ago? Eight and a half? Almost eight years ago? When I did my first show, I sat outside the studio here at two o'clock. <laughs> here and Marconi sat on a bench together a yeah, hundred years Marconi. ago. <laughs> now you say me and Marconi no. and Dave <laughs> and, uh, and and Artie and Artie. What was his name? Artie Fletcher. Yeah. Artie Fletcher. Well, anyway, so uh, you know you're timid the first time. But then what happens is you just have, you know, people don't realize about radio is, is that really nobody is sitting in here besides us. Granted, there's a, there's video, a camera. There's a camera up there. That they can and see that millions I'm... millions and millions of people on this planet, as well as probably some other planets outside the solar yeah, system. Yeah, whoever gets are, the internet. Yeah, whoever can kind of intercept the uh, the waves. Right? Yeah. That's or, how it works. Or pays Bitcoin for internet service. Bitcoin. <laughs> oh, yeah. We're going to get into Bitcoin here in a minute. Um, but anyway, so you just kind of like, yeah, you just be yourself and casual and like, you know, it's just like you're interacting with your friends. Now, Nia, tell us a little bit about who you are, what you are, because uh, we've been friends now for about six months, something like that. And uh, we've kind of crossed paths because of, you know, we kind of have uh, some interest in real estate. So, but you have other interests besides real estate. So yeah. tell us a little bit about that. Well, well first, I'm, tell us your real estate background and then go into the other. Well, I'm, uh, I'm Nihad Alhassan. I'm with Sankey Realty. And uh, I also uh, practice uh, Bitcoin as well. I do a website called infoandbitcoin.com. 
And uh, I think my profession in real estate is usually in high-end luxury homes. Uh, we just listed the first home in the area, a $4 million beach home at 120 Gulf Boulevard for $4 million in Bitcoin, by the way. So I think I'm the one and the only in the area that's really moving pushing, in that direction. Pushing the Bitcoin thing. All right, now tell us about Bitcoin slash cryptocurrency in general, because Bitcoin is just, it's kind of like a brand yeah. for a cryptocurrency, no different than, let's say, eBay or Amazon mm -hmm. or Google. So Bitcoin is just one brand or one facet of the cryptocurrency and it's an it's a an, and it's the one that everybody kind of knows because it's the one that came around first but there's other cryptocurrencies out there so tell them a little bit tell us a little bit about your website yeah. and tell us about the little ticker that's on your website and give us just like a five minute dissertation on uh cryptocurrency the pros and cons i, I think uh there is a future in uh, cryptocurrency itself uh, uh i know bitcoin stands out the most uh to be de decentralized uh, uh way of money it's the it's going back to be able to send money from one person to the other uh like you are able to cash without a third party and i think uh with, with this new trend that's occurring and the new technologies that are happening like in uh, ethereum is another kind of cryptocurrency that has smart contracts that's built into that currency as well allowing you to build a contract and not using a third party like a lawyer or any other firm in between you and that person similar to as you would uh, put money into a vending machine uh, that money is your currency and the machine is programmed to give you something from that machine as well and that's similar to how a, a smart contract work as well as, as ethereum there's m multiple uh, cryptocurrencies but people have to be concerned because uh 90 percent of them are fraudulent i would say and you have to be very wise and i think security is top key uh, understanding to secure wallets and as well understanding the foundation of the currency itself. Okay, take us through the process. Actually, if you want, you can face that way. You can talk to the computer, or not the computer, the, uh, what's that thing called, Bobby? That's a camera. That's a camera. Wow. <laughs> Damn, I yeah. Anyway, so, 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 so give me, let's, let's start from the, you, you mentioned wallet, you mentioned uh, contracts. Mm -hmm. uh, I didn't hear blockchain, but I know that's coming. So let's just say, and we'll use Bitcoin or Ethereum or Ripple or uh, Life coin or monero yeah. or whatever's out there mm -hmm. and 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 i've kind of gotten up to speed a little bit on this stuff but i'm nowhere near you know a match for you but mm -hmm. so tell us let's say i want to buy get bitcoin so bitcoin today was between fluctuating between 14 and fifteen thousand dollars mm -hmm. or fifteen thousand okay so you don't have to have fifteen thousand dollars to buy a bitcoin you can actually buy a little bit of that bitcoin can't you so tell yeah. us how that works so let's just say i want to invest uh, five hundred bucks. You you can buy a millionth. Uh, you can break the coin down one millionth. It's uh, they break them down to smaller portions, like call the Satoshi. Satoshi Nakamoto is the one that created uh, Bitcoin, and they don't know who the founder is. Uh, but there is a white paper that left, left behind giving us the blueprints of what he did and uh, the intentions of that as well. Uh, I think um, with the Bitcoin itself. The, you can buy a portion of the coin, but there's other coins that you can buy as well. But it's very high risk. It's uh, almost uh, like gambling at this point. But there is a future. One percent of Americans are only investing in Bitcoin itself. A majority of it is occurring in Southeast Asia or in Venezuela or countries where there's uh, currency collapse at that point. Okay, more or less a third world country of some yep. kind, yep. or where they don't have a real strong economic base, so there's not yep. real there's not any real significant currency or commerce, and they're looking to use the Bitcoin as a means to acquire a product that's, you know, Correct. probably either made here in the United States, Western Europe, or in China, perhaps. And I think they've rated it as gold 2.0 because a lot of big heavy headers like the CBOE and the CB, CME. The Tell us what those are they, so, the, for the listeners. The, the uh, futures and the stock. Uh, the futures, CBOE stands for what? CBO. Uh, uh, mercantile. Um, um, exchange. Exchange, yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, they're doing futures exchange contracts and uh, option contracts on them. That's going to bring big money into Bitcoin itself. And I think it's going to bring in a lot of uh, institutional money as well. So uh, there, there is a future. It's out of the box. It's not going to go away. And to be able to move money from one part of the world to the other with very minimal fees. Uh, right now, the fees are high because they're implementing the Lightning Node. It's another layer of technology that they're trying to increase and drop the uh, increase the speeds and also reduce the fees as well at the same time. But where can you move millions of dollars worldwide within uh, maybe 10 to 15, 20 minutes uh, for, for minimal fees? It's almost impossible. Okay, let me put this in perspective. Then I'm going to turn it over to Bobby for a second because he's going to ask you a couple questions. But let's say for those of you, you know, I'm in the car business, okay? So when I used to export cars to Europe, I would have buyers in Europe. A buyer would sit there and send me a wire transfer. The wire transfer 
Now, this is how screwy this is, but let's just say how banks take advantage of it. And this is where cryptocurrency kind of bypasses all this nonsense and, and cuts the banks out, which basically in this case are the middlemen. So let's say, say my guy in Germany wants to buy a $20,000 car. He wire transferred me $20,000. Problem is, by the time he wire transfers it from Deutsche Bank, then it goes to another bank, then it goes to another bank and another bank. And let's just say these are holding banks. Okay, it goes through a, a sequence of banks, okay? Right. And then uh, then what happens is it ultimately winds up here in the United States, and then it goes to, let's say, like, oh, let's just call it money warehouses, because that's essentially what they are. They're money warehouses, okay? I bet you guys didn't know this was a financial show. This, uh, you know, but anyway, th there's a tie in here with the cars, okay? <laughs> so at any rate, um, so then what happens is, is this process will take, let's say, three to four days. But all along, what happens is it's not just my 20000 It's another guy's 20000 another guy's 20000 pretty soon you're talking millions of dollars. So if these guys can sit there and each hold this money for a certain period of time, they're making enormous amounts of money out there because all they're catching is just a percentage of the interest plus they're charging the fee. So by the time the money gets over here, let's just say this 20000 now, okay, I only net maybe 19900 and 25 bucks because I had to pay a $75 fee. I didn't, but I was charged a $75 fee for the handling of the money. Meanwhile, while I was sitting in all these accounts for a day, if they get, if you're talking billions and billions of dollars, they get a percentage, there's an, they, there's interest on this money that's paid, right? So the money gets held up or the money gets used. It gets taken out of there real quick, used for something else. They make a ton of money and then they throw it back in the bank and then they get it back. So they get these like short two day, three day loans and stuff like that, which it is, it's, I'm trying to simplify it, but it's extremely complex. Where cryptocurrency comes to play is, let's say I've got a customer in Germany, and he has some form of cryptocurrency, whether it's Bitcoin, whether it's Ethereum, Ethereum, Ripple, or Monero, or something like that. He basically sends the money to, I have to have what they call a wallet, and I need him to explain, to Niha to explain that. And then that money, I go to a conversion station, so to speak, and then it's converted from whatever the cryptocurrency is into real dollars, okay? So think of Bitcoin or cryptocurrency as like a giant, massive gift card. That's probably the best analogy, right? Now, so basically you just bought this gift card. This gift card has a value. The value is $20,000. So he basically takes this gift card and he cashes it in over here or gives it to me and then I cash it in because it has value. But none of the transaction takes place. There's no transfer title, no transfer of, of vehicles or anything like that or hard assets until the, the currency is converted, the, bit, the cryptocurrency is converted into fiat currency or let's just say real money. And then I have it in my grubby little hands and then I give him the title. And I actually, I sent, mail him the title. I take the card to the shipping company and the shipping company forwards the card to Bremerhaven and then he goes to Germany or Bremerhaven and he picks up his his. Ford Boss 429 Mustang. Now, Bobby, you've got some cryptocurrency questions for Nihad. You guys need to kind of talk about because we've got a few minutes yet. Oh, we're down there. I would. Hmm. Should we go to a commercial break real quick? I would say we All right, let's go that. to a commercial break real quick. Let's let's up on the, uh, you got that transistor working now? He's got the diodes and the, uh, because little, whatchamacallit's uh, fixed, so we're going to play something for it. It's vintage on our transistor radio, right, Bobby? Because when we come back, aside from cryptocurrency, we have the FLA Car Show Report. The FLA Car Show. Hey, you're tuning into Nostalgic Radio and Cars Don't Touch That Dial. We will. We will. I promise you. Be right back. I think we missed it. Anybody here see the love, see the hate, the emotion. This is Tim Del Toro, and I'm Lou Angel Wolf, and we are the Grease Gurus. 
Our show is broadcast every Saturday morning live at WTAN 10 Talk Radio 1340. That's 10 o'clock every Saturday morning for an automotive forum that is flavored with humor and insight. We encourage you to call in and be part of the Grease Guru Show. We'd love to have you, and we will certainly help you find your inner grease. This show is sponsored by Tim's Performance Service Center and beautiful Tarpon Springs at 906 Verona Place, and you can reach us personally at 727-543-1601. Aha. Looking for car shows? Then look no further than flacarshows.com. On your computer or on your mobile device, flacarshows.com is a comprehensive list of automotive events plus videos and news articles. Whether you're looking for car shows, cruise-ins, meetups, automotive festivals, cars and coffees, or anything else relating to an internal combustion engine, then this is a site for you. Check it out online or on your phone at flacarshows.com. Okay, we're back, and you're tuned into Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Yes, tell your friends every Tuesday night here for the most fascinating and legendary names in motorsports and occasionally finance. Uh, tune into Nostalgic Radio and Cars and Ted Talk Radio Network. Okay, now we're talking about Bitcoin in case you just turned in, tuned in, but we're using Bitcoin slash cryptocurrency to kind of convey how you would do a foreign exchange, a foreign purchase of a vehicle from another country if you wanted to buy something here. And the only means of uh, let's just say uh, wampum that you have would be <laughs> cryptocurrency. Now, Bobby, go ahead and ask Nihad. Tell him that you're going to buy a car from me in Germany, and you're over here. And or no, I'm in Germany. Well, we were you're selling a car, but anyway. So how do we start? We first? were on we're, the wallet. So tell us about the wallet. Basically, our listeners are driving around with a phone and a physical, a tangible wallet. But so they're they're sitting there saying, "Well, I have a wallet. So why are they telling me I need to get another wallet?" So tell them about the wallet on in the crypto world in the crypto world we have uh, a digital wallet cryptocurrency so, world we have to make sure yeah, we understand because yes. it's currency okay so same thing as you log on to your online banking you have access to your money but your money is stored with the bank with an actual wallet you are the bank you like barack obama says uh, you have a swiss bank account in your pocket that's basically what you are half he said that yes Oh, <laughs> <laughs> we know where all his, we all, all his illegal funds went. Okay. You know what the government is thinking. So. Yeah, we know exactly what they're thinking. Okay, you can't trust them. That's the first thing. Okay. So having... Uh, hey, we're on radio. <laughs> I, I, there's more information on my website at infoandbitcoin.com, and there's links to the exchange, uh, the biggest exchange in the world, coinbase.com, and there's links that you can get. Click on my page. You can get $10 free when you buy $100 of Bitcoin anyway. But on that page, we'll go break down uh, everything about Bitcoin itself and cryptocurrency. I'm adding new stuff daily. And I'm going into a 10-section, 10-point securing your money and how to build your own wallet and how to secure your wallet as well. Because that's the primary goal. Because if you don't know security, your money will be stolen very easily. Because once in Bitcoin or cryptocurrency, the security is no longer the banks. You're responsible for your own security and uh, securing your own money. And that's the biggest thing uh, because viruses on phones, a uh, majority of phones are like 90% of the phones have viruses. Uh, and um, the you, you need to use two-step uh, authentication uh, for logging into your, your wallet as well. And I'm going to break this down on my website and make it easier for everyone to understand and on info and bitcoin.com. And also hardware wallets, there's paper wallets, and there's exchange wallets. And I'll go into depth on which one's more secure and less secure as well. Okay, now real quick, so, well, we have to, we're gonna have to make this another show and another uh, I'll go into this whole thing. But quickly, so let's say you got a guy in Europe, he bought a bunch of Bitcoin. In fact, let me tell you back up real quick, quick story. How the the first Bitcoin deal was, believe it or not, it was something like seven or eight years ago, and it was some guy in England and some guy in in in, in, in if I understand the story correctly, in and I remember reading about it in uh, Detroit. He's wanted a pizza. So he'd already kind of had a whole bunch of Bitcoin. So he contacted this guy in England to basically negotiate a deal back over here in the United States to buy him a pizza, uh, two pizzas delivered to the tune of 10,000 Bitcoins. Now, if you did the math on that today, that would be a whole bunch of money, okay? Millions. But back then, the cryptocurrency didn't have, uh, didn't have any value. So what this did basically is, yeah, 10,000 times four. So you got 1.4 million, wow. Okay, so uh, what this did—that's that's a big pizza, about the size of the country. So at any rate, what that did is it proved that there was actually a market, just like we talked about this once before. If I have a cell phone, I'm the only person on the cell that has a cell phone in the world. 
What good is a cell phone? It's not good. But if Bobby has one, and if Nihad has one, and if Tommy has one, now we have four cell phones. The phones have a little bit of value because we can communicate. We don't have to be side by side in the same room attached to a cord. We can have a group message. We can have a group message. It's exactly. N, it's the N squared. Um, so basically, N is the number of users, and squares multiple users. Okay. Correct. And that's the that's the fundamental basis. That's why cryptocurrency will take off. I mean, it's kind of like think of these guys. You know, when I was in high school, computer classes, ones and O's on on little cards, I, I blew that off. I didn't think of it. Look at it now. Then the internet, then the computer, the computer, then the internet. Now look where we're at. So don't miss the opportunity right now, but use it frugally. Okay, don't be frivolous with this uh, cryptocurrency because you can use it as a tool. If you're lucky and you play your cards right and, you, and you, know, you might be able to make a little money on the deal. But anyway, so basically the guy in Germany has got cryptocurrency. He wants to buy my car. What do I have to set up? Just give it to me. Just give me like the the one one on one version. Okay. Uh, so say uh, someone in Germany, the majority of people that are buying using Bitcoin already have it in Bitcoin. They've bought maybe a hundred dollars worth seven years ago. They probably worth thirty million dollars today. So they already have it in currency. <laughs> but but if somebody wanted to buy it, they would have to have an exchange like Coinbase. Uh, they would purchase that money. And exchanges where the money gets converted yeah. from they, cryptocurrency into U.S. dollars. Correct. Yeah, they debit their account, their U.S. bank account, fiat account, to, and then they use that to buy Bitcoin. And then the wallet could be uh, use a QR code or a number, a, a very wrong cryptographic number. It's very long, um, maybe 20, 30 characters long. Uh, you would send that money to that person. Uh, through the wallet, and it'll be transferred uh, maybe 10, 20 minutes. Sometimes it can take up to 10 hours, depending on how backlogged the uh, exchange is or, or the uh, the blockchain is because uh, of so many users online. Okay. So what we're going to do, since we're just about out of time here and we got to get our guests on the show here, we're going to take a we're going to have you back on. We're going to talk a little bit more about yeah. this because we have to get into the wallets. We have to get into the blockchains. We have to get into the miners. We have to get into all this kind of stuff. Now, I think it's time for the FLA Car Show Minute. Okay, so here's what we got going now. If you want to find out where all the car shows, definitely check out flacarshows.com. It's our good friends Tara and them in Orlando, Tara and company. Okay, yeah. now what's coming up this weekend? Well, this weekend, for all you parts junkies like myself, Sunday, first swap meet of the year is the well, the first Sunday first the first Sunday of every month, Sumter County Fairgrounds. Swap meet. Plain and simple. Okay, so that's where we're gonna be. Um, if you're on uh, FloridaCarshows.com, and you happen to be in Orlando tomorrow night, for example, Ace Cafe has all Ford night. Bobby, when are they going to have uh, the British car night? When's that? Uh, that is, I believe, in two weeks. In two weeks? Yes. Okay. So, so by the time I fly off on my Golden Pegasus back to uh, Orlando after this uh, week, uh, I'll be nearby. <laughs> Tommy, I think what you can do is you can go ahead and fire up that transistor again, see if you can tweak some wires, and then let's go ahead and get our guests on the show here in a minute. Nihad, I want to thank you very much for hanging out with us. Stick around. Don't go away. Uh, we'll see where this conversation goes when I get our good friend on the show here in a minute. Hey, here's a little stepping wolf. How about a little suki suki? Hey, you're tuning into Nostalgia Video Cars. Don't touch that dial. We will be right back, and we got a very special guest for you this evening. It's auction time, and Scottsdale Collector Car Week is coming up. It's only two weeks away. Sir, may I be of some help? That's funny. My name's Roger. Two Rogers don't make a right. <laughs> Roger, I have a problem. Yes. I've been in L.A. for three months now. I have money, I have taste. But I'm not on anybody's A-list, and Saturday night is the loneliest night of the week for me. Oh. 
A Ferrari would certainly change that. Perhaps. Hmm. But you know, this is the one. Yes. Yes, yes. I saw three of these parked outside the local Starbucks this morning, which tells me only one thing. There's too many self-indulgent wieners in this city with too much bloody money. Now, if I was driving a 1967 275 GTB Borkham, you would not be a self-indulgent wiener, sir. You would be a connoisseur. Precisely. Champagne would fall from the heavens, doors would open, velvet robes would part. I don't have one here. However, I do have one in the warehouse. Superb. What else do you have in the warehouse? Hey, good morning. This is Magnus Walker. I'm sat here at the Momo Tent at Rensport Reunion 5 at Laguna Seca. And you're listening to Nostalgia Radio on Cars. Rock on. Get out and drive. Cheers, man. Okay, we're back. You're tuned into Nostalgic Video and Cars, and I'm your show host, Robert. Now, it's time to introduce our special guest for the evening. I'm delighted to welcome this gentleman to our show. He's been on my show before, many, many years ago, but I'm delighted to have him back again. He is a good friend, a longtime friend, serious car guy, and he is the founder and president of probably one of the best auction houses in the country. I'm delighted to welcome to the show this evening my good friend, Drew Alcazar from Russo and Steel. Drew, how you doing, buddy? Hey, happy new year there, Robert. Happy new year to you, too. Now, I'll I tell play- you what, go ahead. 2018 is going to go with a bang. It's going to be a lot of fun this year. It's going to be a lot of fun. That's right. So give us the highlights. I mean, I played that little clip because I know you're Ferrari collectors, but more importantly, you're a Ford guy. Okay, so but at heart. But, you know, we get to two Fs, Fords and Ferraris. So tell us a little bit about uh, Russo and Steel, what you guys got cooked up for us this year. Well, I love that clip that you opened the show with here, at least my segment there from Gone in 60 Seconds. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the Connoisseur with the 275 GTB 4 cam. It's been on my list for a long time. Maybe 2008 will be the year that I get it. But I tell you, coming up here in a couple weeks, we're getting ready to roll with another edition of Russo and Steel with our flagship auction in Scottsdale, Arizona. And we're going to be selling 800 collector cars in four days this year, third weekend in January. That is incredible. Now, normally you've got, what, between six, 700 cars? So 800, so you get 100 cars more. So is that a sign of the economy? Well, as you know, we uh, moved to St. Peter's so this will be our second year at that new venue. Uh, it's a multi-million dollar sports complex that was uh, originally designed for the spring training facility for the Arizona Diamondbacks and the Colorado Rockies. And, and uh, they were kind enough to allow Russo and Steel to use a portion of that facility for our auction here each January. So, uh, again, January 18th through the 21st at Salt River Fields. We've got a nice little piece of real estate carved out here. Gave us a lot more room than our old site. A lot, a lot nicer ambiance, the amenities that are out here, the stadium lights with all of the cars. Uh, this year we'll move the main auction tent and facility over to an asphalt portion of the lot. So everything's on hardscape this year. We put in a brand new vendor pavilion. So, uh, again, every single year we, uh, we try and push the envelope a little bit, but I'm uh, super excited about this year's show coming up. What are some of the highlight cars that you got this year? Wow, that's like asking, you know, what's your favorite kid? <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 I didn't ask you what your favorite car was. I just said, tell oh, us about some of the highlights, okay? I know that question. I always know the answer to that, too. So, <laughs> Well, we've got a couple of rare opportunities that I think uh, the collectors will really enjoy. Uh, one of them, actually, is, is called the Cheetah, and it was uh, made by Chevrolet. It was uh, sort of designed to be the Cobra killer uh, of the day. Uh, not quite as notorious or infamous as the Cobra, of course. Uh, but equally as desirable and just as competitive as the day. Uh, we have one of the original serial-numbered cars that was delivered to Alan Green Chevrolet. Uh, that's sort of our, uh, our star feature car that's going to be here. And along that same type of venue, we also have a really rare opportunity. Two-digit Shelbys don't come up very often. To get a GT350 that has two digits in its serial number, again, there were only 199 of them that you could have had, but again, one of them comes into the marketplace very rarely. And we have car number 47 that's going to be auctioned to the uh, offered for auction sale here in January. So it's uh, those are two cars that are some great highlights. Of course, we've got our usual hot rods, customs, uh, muscle car Shelby's. We've got a 427 Copo Camaro. We've got a number of great Ferraris that are going to be coming, uh, all the way up to some of the newer supercars that are starting to become more popular and demanded by collectors today. Uh, Russo and Steel has always been that nice sort of middle market kind of something for everybody. I'm a big believer that little fish go to be big fish. So we have uh, cars all the way from, you know, $20,000 of value all the way up to multiple million. 
Wow. Now, it's funny you mentioned that cheetah because right around the corner from you is the pavilion. And if that's the car I'm thinking of, didn't that car show up? Doesn't that because so people just let me set the stage here. The uh, when during Scottsdale Collector Car Week, there's a big shopping center there called the Pavilion, and every weekend they have car shows there. But for Scottsdale Collector Car Week, a lot of cars show up there, right, Drew? And uh, well, the fun part about it is, is that the Pavilion is part of the Salt River, Pima, Maricopa Indian community. Exactly, that we are on. I can literally throw a rock for my auction site and hit the Pavilion's car show. So we're right next door. Super exciting. Yeah. So you almost have like a built-in audience because everybody's going li- to be hanging out at the Pavilion, and then they're going to have to come right over <laughs> next door and uh, you know walk that's in the door. Right. But, but that's where I've seen that cheetah drive around, I think, if that's the one I'm thinking of. Is it is yours the green one or the red one? It's the green car. Oh, the green, the green car. car. They just went through a complete ground-up restoration on it now. It's just absolutely spectacular. They're really excited about that car. Now, Bill Mitchell, Bill, Bill, Bill Mitchell was the uh, kind of like the creator of that car. Not the same Bill Mitchell that was with General Motors, another Bill Mitchell. But they built how many Cheetahs, and they were pretty, pretty serious contenders back in the day, weren't they? Well, interestingly enough, they sort of did them in two different configurations. One was some were road race cars, and others were drag cars. Okay. Uh, the yellow and green car that we have uh, was uh, primarily uh, destined for drag racing use. Uh, but again, it wasn't. Uh, it really was never campaigned that hard. Uh, it was sort of coveted as sort of a showroom piece. So as race cars go, uh, most of them kind of got, uh, as they say, run hard, put away wet. Uh, this particular car is, is a really nice, well done, very historical piece, but it, it's, un, it's undamaged. There's no stories, no drama. Uh, and again, I think uh, almost any collector car, whether you're talking about uh, uh, you know, American muscle or European sports, uh, again, the cars that uh, haven't had a lot of drama in terms of replacement panels or, you know, accident history, those are the ones that are going to be the most valuable. So I think this particular car is going to do really well. You know what? Now I remember where I saw the car at the Arizona Concourse. It was on the show field last year, wasn't it? At the Concourse. Unfortunately, they're not doing the Concourse this year. Broke my heart. So I, I'm, I'm wishing those guys the best. I hope they are able to uh, get the sponsorship they're looking for to revive that uh, next year. We. We've actually had some conversations about maybe uh, integrating some of that here at Salt River Field as well. So those are uh, continuing conversations, so stay tuned. Okay. Now, I, something else I want to, and, and I have to bring this up all the time because, and you can answer this if you want, it's kind of cool, but because <laughs> okay. it's only serious car guys get this. You have a car in your living room, true or false? <laughs> people don't believe me. Yeah, I want yeah, I want you yeah. on the air to tell people this because this is for all the wives out there that think we're nuts. So you have a lovely wife. She's been with you forever, and she thinks it's cool too. So tell us what you have in your living room. Well, it's actually a 1969 Boss 429. It's 100% original. It was originally delivered here in Phoenix in 1969, so it's a a local resident, and yes, indeed, we did park it in our living room. And as many people come up to me and go, ah, gee, Drew, you are just super cool for parking a car in your living room. I go, no, 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 guys. Josephine, my wife, is the one who is cool for letting me do it. That's absolutely amazing, and I'm glad you said that, because now we have it on air that somebody actually has a car in their living room. Okay, so you just set the stage. Well, as long as people, when they come over and are my guests, aren't using my fenders on my bosses or coasters for their cocktails, I'm okay with it. But, <laughs> of course, the most often asked question is, is how would you get the car in here? And I look at them and I say, if you knew how I got it in here, then you'd know how to get it out, which means if it's ever missing, I'm just going to have to kill all of you. <laughs> well, that is why I played that clip, because the Ferrari's upstairs, what, 20-some-odd floors up in this building, and it was brought in in pieces. Um, I'm not exactly sure if you went through that extreme to get the Boss 9 in your uh, living room, but uh, I'm sure it was a task. Not not quite that extreme. It's more of a kind of a bat cave situation. So that's the only clue I'm going to give. <laughs> <laughs> All right, now tell us about, now give us a little background on Russo and Steel. You've got three auctions. You've got three prime locations. You're in Scottsdale, Arizona. You're in Monterey. And then you're in Newport Beach. I mean, those are three absolutely fantastic areas. Well, it's always nice to be able to look into the eyes of your sellers and say, listen, you know, I, I, I can't guarantee you at the top of the market if I had an auction in the middle of Timbuktu nowhere. But when you're sitting here in those three venues, uh, you can look someone in the eye and say, hey, listen, this is the market speaking. This is the money. And truthfully, that's what an auction is about. It's about maximizing the sales return for your sellers. 
and making sure that you're getting every single possible nickel there is in the market. And I think those venues are indicative of that. We're, again, this is our 18th year. Um, people ask, well, gee, Drew, why don't you have more options? Interestingly enough, we're working on two new venues for next year. Uh, we'll be making a dramatic announcement here in Scottsdale on Saturday night for the new venue that we will be doing in the spring quarter of 2019. So I can't let that cat out of the bag just yet, uh, but we're also working on an additional one for the fall quarter. But I can tell you that really you don't want to oversaturate your market. I'm looking at venues where you say, listen, where can you go and maximize your seller's potential? I think most collectors that are in the country or even in the hemisphere, the globe for that matter, set their watch by two events, 12 o'clock for Scottsdale in January, 6 o'clock for Monterey in August. Those are your two preeminent collector car events. So, of course, Russo and Steel for its complete 18-year history has been at both of those locations. And it's, it's very gratifying now to be involved with both of those for this many years to have been involved with that evolution and the synergy that now exists. Because both Scottsdale and Monterey, I think, have a lot of similarities in that you have that synergy. You have you know six collector auction companies all coming together, each of them sort of servicing their own special little niche with their own particular type of you know brand of, of ambiance and presentation and the cars that they do. And so a collector can come to some place like Scottsdale or Monterey, for example, and there's this smorgasbord in front of them, all these different tastes and flavors. You know, Russo and Steel is unique in a lot of different ways with our auction round format that we have. It's sort of that gladiator-style boxing ring, some people call it, you know, Drew's disco mosh pit, where (laughs) the cars are actually ground level and all of our seating is elevated. So rather than, you know, being in the sea of chairs looking at a postage-sized stamp, you know, stage or a thousand miles away trying to see a car, everybody gets a good view because the cars are on the ground level. Then you have this Coliseum Stadium seating that goes up, so everyone's kind of looking down. A lot of people come to Russo and Steel just to enjoy hanging out and having to enjoy the show and the spectacle. I've often wondered why people don't ever sort of knock us off on that concept. It's kind of like In-N-Out Burger. How come, you know, it's a fairly simple concept. Why hasn't somebody replicated it? I think a lot of it is just that the energy that we have with the team that we have on the floor, uh, the guys that I've been working with are all world champion auctioneers. They've got, you know, rings on their fingers, and they're very unique guys that have been working with me for all 18 years. And, you know, we know how what each other are thinking before we even have to look at each other just by the tonality of our voices. And so when we're on the block trying to make sure that, you know, our seller's potential is maximized, that's the kind of team that you're looking for, and it creates that excitement that is uniquely Russell and Steel. Give us a little background on yourself a little bit, you know, because when people, you know, they, when they, the typical perception is, is that, well, an auction is just, it's like any other business. But that's not necessarily true in your case. You actually are a car guy, worked on cars, built cars, and actually the first time I met you was probably in the late 80s when you were taking cars to Barrett-Jackson back in the day. So give us a little background <laughs> on yourself and what sets you apart from your comp- competition. Well, uh, you know, I guess it's uh, it's a good thing it was successful since I don't know how to do anything else. <laughs> <laughs> I've, uh, it's it's always that you know conversation you're having on an airplane somewhere, you're flying someplace, and somebody the choice says, "Well, what do you do?" And I always get to sort of grin in a little bit and say, "You know, I, I play with old cars, and uh, it's really all I've ever done." But Russo and Steel, I think, unlike most every other auction company that you can name, is really just born of Josephine and I's enthusiasm. It's really an extension thereof. Uh, we would be doing the, the Concord Elegant shows. We would be doing the road rallies. We would be doing the vintage racing, uh, all of the things. There's only 52 weekends a year, God knows, and between all of the, my different vices with my collector cars and, uh, and then my own events that I produce, uh, you know, the, the year goes by very quickly. But you're, you're, you're absolutely right. I think Russo and Steel is also very unique in, in, in the aspect that it really is for us. It's like inviting people over to my home. I, I I don't do it often enough that I've got this big old monster on my back that's demanding things. It's kind of it's my little playground, my little ball, my little rules, and 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 we just have fun doing it. We kind of do it our way. It's, maybe it's not everybody's cup of tea, but we sure have a good time doing it. And you know, almost 20 years later now, we've got a a pretty rabid following of collectors that enjoy the brand of excitement that we do with these collector cars. I, that, that that to me again, it's an extension of what it is. That always, I I can tell you that when I buy a car, whether it's a you know, a 275 GTB 4 cam like Nicholas Cage was talking about, or whether it's a, a 65 Mustang convertible. I, I want to get excited about it. I don't want to sit in a chair and have somebody going, may I have your disc key? 
<laughs> with my buddies having a good time, high five and go, yeah, let's get that out. You know, let's go for a drive. I want to have some fun. I want, I want my friends and my buddies that are there with me and, uh, you know, with my family. I want them to enjoy it and have fun, too. And so I, I think for me that that really is what drives uh, Russo and Steel. I, I have often asked myself that time, I, you'll know when it's time not to do it when it's not fun anymore. And I, I can't fathom when that'll be because I'm still having a ball. The um the uh, auction this year. Are you going to have like a memorabilia auction again? Like you you do that sometimes. I don't know if you do it every year, but I've I've been there a few times when you've had that. And you've also had some like symposiums, some guest speakers and stuff. Are you going to do that as well? We do. Yeah, both of those. Uh, my friend Kevin Martin with his uh, Piece of the Past uh, organization uh, always brings us uh, some wonderful celebrity pieces, uh, uh, signed memorabilia and so forth. Very unique things to the auction. Uh, I, I, he's uh, he's got a Grammy this year that he's bringing. Oh wow! Uh, which to, to try and get an original Grammy award is very very difficult to do. Um, and some signed documents. I mean, there's things that I every. I mean, we've been doing it all 18 years, and he constantly will bring something that just astounds me. That you just go, holy cow! It's uh, it's it's amazing. We we start every single day of the program with about an hour of the memorabilia. It gets people in the room, gets them excited. It's a lot of fun. It gets everybody kind of in the groove and in the groove. Uh, you know, other days we'll start uh, prior to the memorabilia with uh, with uh, some sort of seminar type stuff. Uh, John Venus, my consignment director, and I will be uh, on the block on Friday, doing a uh, sort of behind the scenes. You know, all the all the things that you wanted to know about collector car auctions, but we're sort of afraid to ask type of a seminar where we're going to start off with a couple of subject topics that we uh, you know want to share with people that maybe people haven't considered or realized of what goes on kind of behind the scenes and everything that's involved with that magic moment of that two to three minutes on an auction block and all of the emotion that has to come with it and the rhythm and the urgency and all of the things that we're doing there. A lot of people I don't think are, are as, as, as aware maybe as... as until you share it with them, of all of those nuances that are being employed at that moment in time when your car's on the block to, to try and get that car sold, get buyers excited, and get the sellers to say, okay, you know, uh, you know, the buyers have responded, now it's time to sell the car. Uh, and then we actually do something that I don't know of anybody in the entire hobby is, is I guess maybe, <laughs> for a lack of a better term, has got the stones to do. We actually open it up as an open forum for a question and answer period. We've got a couple of uh, you know wireless mics that we have some ushers run around to the audience, and we will literally field any question that anyone wants to ask about collector car auctions, no matter how deep, down, dirty, crazy, whatever it is. And we spent uh, almost an hour and a half uh, having this seminar, and we did it last year, and just it was a lot of fun. People were actually people keep asking us, "Did you videotape it? We want to buy a CD or something, get a DVD, send it to us. We want to watch it again." <laughs> interesting, interesting. Now, um, what about charities? Don't you have a favorite charity to donate to or contribute to too? Don't you? Uh, we do, we do. Uh, we've got uh, Friends of Freedom uh, that are on board here, which uh, of course is uh, is a military uh, beneficiary, a charity that we have. They've been on board with us for a long time. Uh, we really enjoy their company. They they understand uh, our objectives and uh, and we uh, attempt to be as generous as we possibly can with them. I think that's a, a great great cause. We've been involved with children's charities. We've auctioned cars for Phoenix Children's Hospital. Uh, I think we've got another vehicle that's coming all the way out from uh, Michigan, from uh, Detroit. That's uh, a concept car that's uh, going to be uh, auctioned off for for another charity. Uh, the charity cars at Russo and Steel, uh, we mandate a couple of things. One, a hundred percent of the car's sale goes to the charity. Not a proceeds situation. Not hey, you know, I'm the owner. I'm going to put what I paid for the car in my pocket, and anything over that, I get it at the charity. Go no, 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 no. Every single penny that the car sells for, you have to donate it. It goes to the charity. We actually have the buyer go ahead and and sign his check directly to the charity. That way, any 501c3 benefits that they can have, uh, you know, is between the charity and the buyer. And we also mandate that it goes no reserve, which means it's going to be sold to the highest bidder, which creates that excitement. So when you see an, a car on an auction block at Russo and Steel, uh, realize that it is 100% about the charity. Okay. Now, um, the other question I was going to ask you is where do you think the market's going? Now, it's interesting because I want to see if there's a tie-in from your perspective. Because in the last two years, regular cars, the retail market has kind of slipped a little bit. Collector cars, some of them have kind of slipped back. Some are still doing real strong. And you would mentioned and touched on this earlier that the right cars will always be valuable. 
But do you think there's a correlation between the stock market and, let's say, art and collector cars? Well, I, that's an interesting question. I think it's probably one of the you know the top handful of questions that people routinely ask me to sort of uh, you know rub that crystal ball of you know saying hey you've been doing this for thirty plus years you know how do you read tea leaves uh, type of a thing. Hmm. Having been through uh, the roller coaster of uh, you know a half a dozen market corrections, if you want to call them that, the boom busts, what have you, uh, you know, going dating back all the way into the eighties uh, when the collector car really started to get bit the momentum that it enjoys today. I, 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 there are some rules that are just like gravity, Robert. You just want to be in a position where you say, listen, you know, to think that all of a sudden there's going to be some nouveau riche flavor of the moment, you know, that can happen, but those are very short windows that close very rapidly. Uh, Toyota FJs um, was something that went crazy for a while. There was a number of them that sold for six figures, and all of a sudden, you know, everyone came out from behind the woodshed. Um, um, you know, multi-window, you know, 21-window microbus VWs were all the rage there for a moment. Uh, I remember the days when the rage was, you know, a Tri-5 Chevy with the dual antennas and the convertible and the Continental kit and the Batwing air cleaner and all that stuff. And it, at some point in time, those sort of flavor of the moment rages. Pretty soon, everybody that kind of wants one kind of gets one, and then the, the window closes and the lights go out. I've always been a big fan of the cars that have always been collectible. You can look back over 30, 40, even 50 years and just say, listen, these are the cars that have always been coveted. Um, you know, let's face it, up until Ferrari started making the 308 Ferrari, uh, they had made, I think it was 19, I think it was either 77 or 78, Ferrari finally made as many cars as they had made in one year in their entire history up until that time. And realize Ferrari started, what, 47? Mm-hmm. So, you know, you look at an Enzo-era Ferrari, something in the 50s or, or more of the more desirable ones, of course, in the 60s and, and, and the early 70s, which includes everything from Daytonas to Dinos to all the production cars and then, uh, you know, of course, the rare, you know, custom coach bill cars. They're always going to be collectible because there's just never going to be enough of those types of cars to meet that kind of demand. Um, even if it's just a GT350 Shelby, you know, those cars were basically Mustangs with funny-looking stripes on them that were made to get on the racetrack and, and, you know, wreck havoc and, you know, beat the Corvettes, which, you know, they did often enough to now make them famous today. But, you know, realize they only made a, a couple hundred of those cars, and they all got run hard, hung up wet, crashed, wrecked, wadded up into balls, launched off the cliffs, sat on fire, God knows what. And so to try and find one today that's got good history, no drama, all the original sheet metal and panels, if you get super duper you're lucky one that still has the original engine that it was born with in it those are still going to be the very very coveted highly collectible cars and i've seen particularly in the american muscle car market a huge resurgence of the genuinely collectible american muscle i'm talking the big dogs your zl1s uh, your your documented no stories you know 435 corvettes uh, your ZR1s, your LTs, your you know any of the numbered lettered cars, uh, LS6 Chevelle convertibles, um, you know Boss 429s. They, they, those are genuine. Anytime you start talking about multiple six-figure American muscle cars, you know many of those cars have come back and exceeded the high watermark of the mid 2000s in their value today because people have realized that there always is going to be a connection of those cars and is. Very, very difficult to try and find the really well-documented, no-stories cars, and they're always going to be valuable and collectible. So I tell people, don't stray too far out. I mean, I I think if there's an underlying rule, it's buy what you like. Dig it. It's like the best wine connoisseur, a friend of mine said it best. If you like it, drink it, he said. And I agree with with your collector cars. I've got cars in my collection that people come over and look at, and they go, what the hell do you have that for? Hmm. And I go, well, let me tell you. And there's such a cool story that goes along with it that by the time they get done walking out, they're talking about my 1963 Ford or Ford Notchback Galaxy because of the story that goes along with it, infinitely more than they're talking about my you know, 1960 PF Cabriolet Ferrari that's spinning on the turntable worth me. <laughs> so buy what you like because you dig it. If it's worth five bucks tomorrow and you bought it because your heart was in the right place, what difference does it make? Because the smile on your face is still the same. Exactly. Now, give me your take, because I know there's a lot of overseas buying going on. So what's your take on cryptocurrency, and how do you think that's going to affect the market from a buying perspective? 
You know, I, I think the one thing that I do know about collector car collectors mm-hmm. is that, again, there's just some rules, again, sort of like gravity. Car collectors are real tangible type folks. They like to sort of see it, touch it, smell it, lick it. They, they, they're very um, tactile in that a lot of the things that I – and it's, it's part of the reason why eBay didn't put us out of business you know, 20, 25 years ago when that was supposed to happen. You know, I remember when eBay launched onto the scene, all the live collector car auctions were going to be a thing of the past because everyone's going to be buying, you know, cars off their computer screens. And, and you realize that, that just there's, there's an element that's missing. And part of what makes car collecting so much fun is that visceral sort of emotional connection moment with it. It's, it's not a stock certificate sitting in your drawer that, you know, if it's worth nothing, you're going to be upset about it. I mean, that's the great thing about an E-type Jag. It's never going to be worth nothing. <laughs> True. It's going to be worth something. It may not be worth what you paid for it today, but, you know, maybe in a couple of years it'll rebound and be fine. But I think it's the utility of the collector cars as sort of a collectible commodity that makes them so attractive. When you can have a quote-unquote investment that you can drive, enjoy, share with your buddies, go on road rallies with, maybe vintage race it, uh, what have you. If you have something that you can enjoy like that, it's, it's just it's such a better extension than some of my buddies that have other different types of stuff. And I'm not saying don't diversify, but, you know, I just often ask people, I go, oh, you know, you invested in this crazy thing over in Zimbabwe. You know, you having much fun with that? <laughs> you know, it's tough to take that little startup thing over across the water off on, a, on a test drive in the afternoon when the sun's out put the top down. But, you know, that's that's how I see it. I, I don't know as if there's going to be a dramatic impact on that. I think, you know, the collectors uh, worldwide have shown that stability, whether it's in, uh, you know, 300 SL Gull Wings and Roadsters to Enzo-era Ferraris, uh, you know, to some of those types of things. It, it's a fairly stable market right now, and I like that, because two things are happening. One, you don't have buyers that are making these snap decisions because there's this blood in the water. Oh, my God, i got to go buy that car before somebody else does because, you know, hey, it's going up in value so fast that I need to buy it before, you know, my buddy does. And, and they make very hasty decisions. And, and hasty decisions, particularly when you buy collector cars, don't allow you to vet things maybe as well as you should. And then mistakes happen. And then people end up with maybe getting something lesser than what it is that they thought. And then there's crocodile tears. That's no fun. Um, on, on, the, on the selling side, you know, I'll call up people when the market's really hot, and they go, oh, I can't sell it now. You know, maybe it's worth another hundred grand tomorrow. And you just go, oh, Jesus, you've had it for 20 years. It's only quadrupled in value, really. <laughs> you know? but, uh, when the, so when the market's really, is, as the English say, when the market's frothy, um, I'm not so sure that I, I'm, I'm a much bigger fan of some of the stability that we're seeing right now, because I think you can, you can make a really well- uh, vetted uh, decision. decision both on both buying and selling. It's a good time to be doing both. Drew, we're up against the clock. I want to thank you very much for coming on the show this evening. I want to special thanks to my friend, Drew Alcazar from Russo and Steel. Drew, I will see you in a couple weeks. Again, thank you for coming on the show this evening. In the meantime, everybody, stay safe, drive carefully, love your family, and we'll see you at some of the car shows. WTAN, Clearwater, FM 106.1, WDCF, Dade City, Tampa Bay, WZHR, Zephyr Hills, FM 104.3. Listen.